0: The Irish were a part of the Celtic tribes that populated most of Western Europe. They developed a mythology that was separate, not only from that of the Continental Celts, but also their neighbors, the Welsh Celts. Today's tale is not much of a creation myth per se. In fact, we covered the Celtic creation myths in episode 8 of this series. What this tale is, and what we cover today is a history of invasions that eventually led to the establishment of a unique identity of the people of Ireland. Hi there, and welcome to Stories That Made Us. Today, we discuss the story of the habitation and development and settlement of Ireland. As far as a creation story is concerned, Today's tale is part of an epic that depicts the gradual development of an Irish identity out of the chaos of numerous invasions. Each invasion contributes to the Irish uniqueness, all culminating into the existence of a spectacular tale of Ireland. Our story today comes from Lebor Gabala Eren, or the Book of Invasions. It is a collection of poems and narratives that speak of the occupation of Ireland, from the times of the creation of the world, all the way to the Middle Ages. The book, and indeed our story, tells the tale of six invasions of Ireland. The first to land upon the Irish shores were the people of Cazir, who was a descendant of Noah. They were followed by the people of Partholon. Then came the Followers of Nemeth, and later, the Field Bolg and Thuadei Dunun, and finally, the Milesians. The first four invaders or settlers were either decimated or had to abandon the island. The fifth group came to be revered as the Pagan Gods, while the sixth and final group of settlers represent the Irish people the gales of today. So then, let's hear the tale of the wondrous island of Ireland. The story of Ireland begins a long time ago, in the faraway land of Egypt. This was back when Noah was instructed by God to build an ark that would save his family and a pair of world's animals from an all-engulfing flood. Now after Noah had finished with the ark, he allowed three of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, to enter it along with him. However, Noah had another son, Bith, who was not allowed to enter the ark. He blamed his fourth son to be a thief, and thus not pure of heart, not pure enough to be saved from God's wrath. Beth had a daughter, Karsil, who refused to accept her grandfather Noah's decree. She refused to be left helpless, knowing full well that a flood was coming to cleanse the world. Unbeknownst to others, she built three arcs of her own. Some say that she had refused to follow Noah's God and had taken a pagan idol to be her deity. When she heard that Bith was refused entry by Noah, she went to her father and said, Dear Father, why do you work for and seek Grandfather's acceptance? Why do you pray and hope that he would change his heart and take you and us in his ark? Here I have made not one but three arks for us to traverse the floods. Why not come with us? Beth was hesitant to disobey Noah and to part from his father. This Khazir saw and again said, You are welcome to join us, father, but I ask that you forsake Noah and his God. I also ask that you follow me as your leader, and that I will be known as the leader of all who seeks refuge in my arms." Bith tried to convince Noah to let him and his family into the great ark, but Noah blatantly refused every time. At last, the poor son realized that Noah was not to change his mind. He ultimately decided to forsake his faith and his God, and follow his daughter into her ark. Now Kasir was an intelligent and shrewd woman, she had carefully selected each ark to be manned by 50 skilled women. Being wary of men who would seek to undermine her authority, she only allowed three into the ark. These three were her brother Ladra, who was a pilot and a master navigator, her father and Fintan, her husband. Now, before they had left Egypt, Khalsir had a dream. In it, She was told to journey to Ireland to seek out this virgin land. There were no people here to defy it. No sin had been committed here, for no one existed or even knew about this land. She was told that God may spare Ireland from the great flood, for it was without blemish. Thus, they planned to sail to the new country of Ireland. Days and nights passed quickly as they planned their journey. All they knew was that they had to go northwest. When everything was ready, they set sail before Noah and headed towards the unknown land. Kasir and her followers sailed for seven years. In this time, they crossed all over the known world. They sailed through rivers and seas heading towards Ireland all the time. This was an epic journey. They had to navigate past Asia and continental Europe. They had to cross the Mediterranean and the Caspian Seas. They braved storms and winds, rocky waves and tempests. As time went by, sailing through the rough waters and storms took their toll on the crew. Two of the three ships that sailed out of the Nile Delta were lost in these tempestuous waters. Many upon the mother ship were sick, and all underwent tremendous suffering. At the end of the seven years, when Karsir stood upon a tower in northern Spain, she caught the first glimpse of Ireland. It was then that they all breathed a sigh of relief, for their journey was at an end. They had braved the worst. Rejuvenated, and knowing that their sufferings were behind them, the group set sail for one last time. The lone ship finally landed in Ireland, in the harbour of Corcahuine in modern-day Kerry. Kasir landed first, for she was the leader of her tribe. She became the first person to ever set foot on this beautiful green land. At their destination's end, Kasir took stock of all the survivors. Of the 150 women who set sail from the shores of Egypt, only 50 had survived, and among them, all but Ladra the pilot could alight their ship for he was wounded from an oar that dug into his thigh. Nevertheless, their journey was at an end. They were in the land that had come to Kasir in her dream. And oh my, this land was just as beautiful as she had imagined. The women and men first began by building shelters, planting crops, and hunting animals for food and hives. Once they had settled into this new land, they felt it was time to populate and grow. This was something they had not considered when leaving their homeland. It was convenient back then to leave the men behind. But now, when in Ireland, they soon realized the difficulties in populating the land with 50 women and three men. Eventually, the women were divided into three groups, with one man to each. Qasir's father, Bib got only 16 women, for he was old and not as virile as he once was. The other two men were given a group of 17 women each. They were all tasked to reproduce and populate the land that was their new home. This arrangement worked well for a while, but sooner than later problems arose. Bit, who was well advanced in his years, was unable to cope with the task of providing heirs. He was overwhelmed and succumbed to his death. This was the first death to ever occur upon this land. The sixteen women of Bit's group were now divided among the remaining two men. Now Ladra, if you remember, was injured in the journey. While he survived his injury, he could, however, never fully recover from the wound. He soon succumbed to his death as well. And so it was that all women looked to Fintan to populate the new country. Now while all this was going on, Kasir, Who was deeply in love with fintan saw her husband's attention divided among 50 women she died of her broken heart never finding enough time to be with her beloved and having to bear the sorrow of sharing her one true love now poor fintan was the only man among 50 women soon enough The women began fighting and arguing for his attention. There was never a free moment, never a time when Fintan was left alone. He was soon overwhelmed, and one day, he ran and hid in the mountains. This was timely, for just about that time was when the flood promised by God to Noah was unleashed upon the world. Sadly, Ireland was not saved from God's wrath, as was once thought by Karsil. All the people upon the island perished, all but Fintan, who had hidden in the mountains, and a woman called Banba. She was a great warrior who too had run into the hills to survive and see out the flood. While deep in the cave, Fintan waited patiently for the flood to subside. Unfortunately, the water showed no signs of receding. Slowly but surely, the water levels rose and entered his cave, even though he was high up in the mountains. Now while Fintan waited for the flood to end, he fell asleep. In his sleep, he dreamed that he was a salmon, swimming through the water. Miraculously, when Fintan awoke, he was turned to a salmon. This is how he was for 300 years that floodwaters filled up the earth. He spent all his time swimming and exploring every nook and cranny of the country. Eventually, the waters began receding. When Fintan spied this, he dreamed again that he was a hawk. And of course, when he woke up, he was indeed a hawk. He had already traveled all of Ireland when underwater as a salmon. He now spent his days, years, and decades flying above and spying the very same lands from top. By this time, He knew everything and all about the beautiful country of Ireland. As time went by, Fintan, the husband of Carseill, one of the first of all peoples to inhabit the green country, became a great sage. He, as a hawk, lived for over 5,000 years, exploring and witnessing the world slowly maturing. When tired of living as a hawk, he dreamed of other creatures and animals, and thus changed his appearance as and however he wished. His wisdom was known to all fauna of Ireland. He was the counselor and guide to many creatures of the island. This is how things were for a very long time. One day, however, Fintan, in his avatar of a hawk, saw a great giant coming towards the island. This great giant was called Bartholon, and he was a native of Greece. He and his people, as they came to Ireland, became the second invaders of the island. Now he and his followers had fought a terrible battle of succession and were guilty of killing many of his people, including those in his family. For his role in this genocide, he was cursed by his people. None of his endeavors would ever succeed was the curse placed upon him. He thought that by leaving his homeland and running far away, he would be able to outrun the curse. This is why he and his family along with his friends and followers, had come to the shores of Ireland. Now when Barthelon and his people landed, they found the country to be quite hilly. In fact, they only found one plain in all of Ireland, and this was the area around the modern-day capital of Dublin. Barthelon found it impossible to grow crops and make settlements in these hilly lands. Thus, he and his followers flattened three other parts of Ireland. They set up their colonies here and began practicing agriculture and industry. They, unlike the followers of Karsil before them, were natural explorers and spent considerable time exploring and mapping the lay of the land. As they explored the remote areas of Ireland, they chanced upon the land that is today known as Donegal. It is here that they encountered the fierce race called Fomorians. These Fomorians were a formidable adversary. They were fearsome pirates and possessed powerful and destructive magic. Now, Barthelon had initially thought that his people and the Fomorians could live in peace together. But that fantasy was quelled quite early in their encounters. They realized that Ireland had to be won the hard way, through battles and fights. Now, the first battle between the two races was fought with magic and was without casualty. But it was, nevertheless a long-drawn and tiring one. The warriors faced each other standing on one leg. They had an arm behind their back, and one eye remained closed. This was the posture required to access, channel, and unleash magic, the powers of the other world, upon each other. After the seemingly endless battle, Pathlon and his army defeated the Fomorians at magic. The moment the Fomorians lost, four great lakes burst up in Ireland. This was the sign that Pathlon's men were accepted and welcomed by the country and her lands. The victorious followers of Pathlon thus began establishing themselves in their new homeland. In time, Fintan, The survivor of the first invasion and a great sage made himself known to them. He taught them the peculiarities of the land and gave pointers on how to best survive the country. He acted as their counselor and guide as well. Thus, all was seemingly well for Parthelon and his people. The land was abundant and plentiful in food and animals, and the people were never left wanting for anything. One day, Barthelon wished to venture on a hunt. He left his wife and servant at home and went into the woods. Now while he was gone, his wife and the servant slept together. After the act, the two even shared wine from Bartholomew's goblet. Now when the king returned, he took a sip from his drink. Through his magic, he could instantly taste his servant and his wife on the lip of the cup. Angry and feeling betrayed, he immediately went after the servant and slew him on the spot before he could have a chance to either save or defend himself. Now, this was the first time that adultery, jealousy, and murder entered the island of Ireland. Eventually, Barthelon and his wife made up, and they lived happily for another 30 years. Barthelon died at a ripe old age, though from a plague. His people went on to flourish for another 500 years. They had slowly grown and occupied much of the island. However, a terrible plague broke out in the island, and it wiped out all the descendants of Parklawn, thus fulfilling the curse that was placed on their leader many centuries ago. Now while all the people died, there was but one surviving man in the island. This man was Fintan. He outlived the plague due to his magic and his wisdom. Finding no company again, he returned to his animal form, living with many creatures of the land and the waters. He waited for the next time when mankind would come and populate the land. Nemed was the name of the man who next brought his followers to this land. He arrived with 30 ships, each manned by 60 people. Now Nemed, on his way to Ireland, had come across a tower of gold. Overcome by greed, he and his men tried to break the tower apart and take it in their ship. But before they could alight, a great storm blew and changed their course. They were dumped by the storm into Ireland, shipwrecked and without supplies. Now before Nemet and his people could settle in Ireland, they too had to fight the Fomorians, much like Bartholomew's men. Also like Bartholomew's men, they defeated their adversaries and were thus granted acceptance from the land. After Nemet defeated the Fomorians, he forced them to build a great fortress for him. This was a majestic fortress of immense beauty, and was made by craftsmen of great skills. Nemeth was awestruck by the beauty of this fort. He claimed that never has there been a fortress as majestic, and never there shall be one ever like it. Saying this, he put to death all the craftsmen who worked on the fortress. He did this so that they may not replicate the fortress anywhere else in the world. Nemed ruled from this fortress for a while, but eventually fell to a plague. He passed away, leaving a weak rule behind. The Fumorians thought this to be their chance and fought back against the Nemedians. This time, they won and levied heavy taxes on the Nemedians. Moreover, the Fomorians were deeply concerned with the Nemedians rising and fighting and defeating them again. This is why they demanded two-thirds of all Nemedian children every seven years. The Nemedians had no choice but to revolt against their tortuous life. So dire was their state. Many attempts at revolts failed but at last they succeeded. They not only defeated the Fomorians and liberated themselves, but also took over the Fomorian stronghold on Tory Island. Now when the Fomorians saw their homeland being destroyed by the Nemedians, they called upon their great magic and asked the sea to flood the island. All the Nemedians, who by now were in the Fomorian stronghold, were thus scattered and decimated. Only about 30 or so managed to escape in a lone ship. They left the Irish shores for good. Some went to Greece and others to Scotland. Now before the Nemedians parted their ways, they all made a pact to someday return to Ireland to reclaim their land. Now many years had passed since the Nemedians had left the Irish shores. Those who had chosen to journey to Greece fared poorly, for they were enslaved and oppressed by the Greeks. Known as fear bulk to the Grecians, they were exploited and forced to do menial tasks. After living like this for a while and growing in numbers, the Greek Nemedians, now called Fear Borg, decided to flee the tyranny of their masters and return back to Ireland. They thus undertook the journey again, and this time in great numbers. Upon landing on the Irish shores, they divided the island into five provinces with Ishnak, the naval of Ireland, at the centre. Ishnach became the holy ground for this was where any Fioborg would come to settle his or her disagreements. As with every invasion of Ireland, the Fioborg too had to fight the Famaurians. This time, they prevailed and became the rulers of the whole country. They were very sensible people, hardworking and humble. But alas, for all their merits, their reign in Ireland lasted only 37 years. On a fine day, 37 years later, after the Fear had established their rule over Ireland, they witnessed new people entering the shores of their land. As the ships entered the bays and quays, a mist descended from the heavens. As the mist cleared, the Firbolg saw many boats parked on the shores. Upon them were a race of tall, blonde and beautiful people. These were the Thuadei Dunad. They were those Nemedians who had chosen to go north. While in the north, the Nemedians had visited four magical cities, Findias, Murias, Gorias, and Phalias. In each of these great magical cities, they learned of all the arts and sciences. They learned all the magic there was to be found. When their time had come, their supreme goddess Danu commanded them to return to Ireland and to take back the land that was theirs by birthright. The same land that they were bound to by the pact of their ancestors. Now the Tuade Dunan brought with them four magical objects. First was the great cauldron of the Dagda. This was a bottomless cauldron that could feed all, no matter how many people wished to eat from it. The second was a magic sword that was always sharp, thus requiring no maintenance. Third was a spear that never missed. And fourth was Leafeu the Stone of Destiny. The Fierburg were astonished to see these beautiful new people landing on their shores. They were afraid that they would be subjected to slavery again. They could not let that happen, not after they had escaped Greece to find succor upon the Irish lands. Their worries seemed justified, for overnight, a fortress had sprung up where the Tuade Dunon had landed now a group of firebold came to the Tuade Dunan, holding a sign of truce they told each other of their tales and had initially gotten along well the Tuade Dunon then suggested that they should divide the irish land equally between them this did not go well with the Firbog, for they were in no mood to give up the land that they had won after fighting the Fomarians. And so it was that the bold and the Tuade Dunon, the two descendants of the Nemedians, met in battle on the plains of Mithura. The fighting was a long and dreary one, and the Fierbog suffered heavy damages. The Tuade Dunan asked them to divide the land equally and live in peace once again. But the stubborn Fearbog did not agree. The fighting thus resumed. On the second day, the Fearbulk stuck a terrible blow on the Tuade Dunan, for they had severed the arm of their king Nuada. This setback, however, was not enough to vanquish the Thwa-de-Dunan, who rallied and fought back, eventually defeating the Fear Ball. Now though the Thwa-de-Dunan had won the battle fair, they were generous and kind. They did not enslave the Fear Ball, but allowed them to live as free men in one of the four provinces of Ireland. The Fearbolk chose to make the province of Connaught their home. The Dé Dunan took over the lordship of the rest of Ireland. Now, after the battle had concluded and the Fearbolk had left to settle in their province of Connaught, the Dé Dunan had to solve the problem of leadership. Their king Nuada, after all, was injured in the battle. Now, while the court physician had made a beautiful arm for Nuada, the rules of the people said that no man with physical deformities could be the king. This is how Nuada lost his throne. The elders and leaders thus convened to decide upon their next ruler. After much discussions and deliberations, they decided to choose their greatest warrior, Bres, to be the next king. He was a strong and beautiful young man and the son of a Fomorian and a De Dunan. People thought that this would be beneficial for he would be able to bring the two races together. Alas, his reign did not quite turn out as expected. Bres, though bold and handsome, had no gift for kingship. No sooner did he come to power, he levied huge taxes on his subjects. Moreover, he lent his ear to the Fomorians, who through Bres enslaved the people, levying taxes of their own and dealing with the Thuade Donon with cruelty. Such was the hand of fate, that the good peoples of this magnificent race were enslaved by their own king. One day, a bard had come to visit the king and the land. He had expected to play in the court and be made welcome, for he had heard the good tales of the beautiful and generous people of Tuade Dunan. However, he was maligned and mistreated by the court of prayers. So upset was the bard at his ill-treatment that he composed a scathing song, which he played in every tavern and inn. The Tuade Dunan heard this song and were disappointed, shocked, and even angered by the meanness of their king. Breas' reputation plummeted so drastically that the people took up arms and rose up against their own king eventually deposing him. This is why all the later kings of Ireland made sure to respect the power of the bards and give him their due, for their songs and words have the power to sway the masses. Bres, having thus been removed, fled to the Fomorians for refuge and help. There, he convinced the Fomorians to gather an army to attack the Thwa de Dunan and restore himself to his rightful rule. The Fomorians obliged. This army of prayers was led by Balor, a great hero from Donegal. Some say that he had an eye in his forehead, that, when opened, would kill any who crossed its path. So brave and powerful was this man that there was no way to defeat him. By the time he was tasked to command Brius's army, however, Balor had grown senile. The eyelid of his third eye had grown heavy and remained shut. Legends say that five men had to stand behind Balor with hooks to keep his devastating eye open and directed at his enemies. Now, many years ago, when Balor was young, he had a daughter named Ellen, who was in love with a Dé Dunan named Kyan. They had a child together called Lu. Now, Balor had been told by a soothsayer that his grandchild shall be the end of him. So he decided to dispose of Luke by casting him into the sea. A druid woman named Biro, however, stole the baby away and brought it safely to his father, Kian. As Lu grew older, he was taught the art of smithing, among many other skills. He was a curious child who possessed great intellect and had strength to match. When the De Dunan were amassing their forces to meet Bres and the Fomorians. Luke decided to enroll for the battle. He journeyed to their capital, Tara, and knocked at the gate. The order was given to not let any stranger into the capital, for these were the times of war. The gatekeeper asked Luke what skill he had. I am a magician, Luke said, but the gatekeeper replied that they already had a magician. I am then a cook, Luke replied, but they already had one of the cooks. I am a smith, then Luke said, but they had a smith already as well. I read the stars, Luke then said in a commanding voice. We already have someone to read the stars, the gatekeeper thus replied. And on and on it went. Lu listing his skills and the gatekeeper refusing. Until at last, Lu said, Go and ask your master, have you any one man who can do all of these things? And so he was let in. Lu, having thus joined the warriors of Tuade Dunan, impressed all with his many skills and cheerful and pleasing temperament. In fact, the commanders of thwa Dunon were so impressed by this young and charismatic boy that they asked him to lead their troops into battle against the Fomorians. Now, Lugh possessed great strength, had a brilliant military mind, was a skilled tactician, and had many followers in the army. He not only devised great strategies, but also invented new weapons for his army. He even sought advice from Mananan Makleer, the great sea god. The Thuadei Donan had another great commander among their ranks. He was the Dagda, and he decided to ensure the favor of war goddess Morrigan for the upcoming battle. He was a great charmer and a seducer, and was soon able to gain favor with the war goddess. The Dagda also sought to parley with the Fomorians and tried to make peace, but his attempts were thwarted and ridiculed. And so it was that the two armies were ready and met at the battlefield. The armies of Thwade Dunan were led by the Dagda and Lu, whilst the Fomorian armies arrived with Balor at their head. Now, just as Balor's five attendants were about to open his devastating eyelid, Luke flung a stone from a sling through Balor's eyes, which rolled back in his head, and through him, pointed at the Fumorian army behind. This is how the Fumorian army was decimated and the Tuade de prevailed in the battle. Now, while the people prepared for war, and by the time it was over, the physicians, with great knowledge and magic, were able to regrow Nuada's arm, thus restoring him to wholeness. The people of Thwa Dunan rejoiced at this, for their good king was now able to rule again and guide them to greatness. Now the Tuade Dunan ruled Ireland for a long time during which they prospered. This peace, however, was broken when the High King of Ireland passed away. He left his kingdom to his three sons, who fought bitterly among them to be the ruler of the land. Now, while this was going on in Ireland, there lived a wise man named Ith Espain in Spain. He would stand on his high tower and look upon Ireland. One day, it told his brother and nephews about this beautiful land. Determined to explore its shores, he gathered his men and set sail. Upon reaching the shores of Ireland, it marveled at the beautiful green land. He eventually reached Tara, the capital of the Thua de Dunant. Where he introduced himself to the three sons. Now the sons were still locked in a fight for the throne. Finding an old and wise sage from a neutral land upon their shores, they asked it for advice on who should be the next ruler. It, being wise and sagacious, studied the laws of the land and recommended that they should all follow the customs of the Thwa de for the laws and customs of these great people were perfect. It went on, praising everything about the good people and their wondrous land. Now It only had beautiful words to say about Ireland and her people, but this made the Thwa de especially the three heirs to the throne, uneasy. They worried that it had come as a conqueror and wished to usurp their throne. They thus killed, without warning, the poor, wise foreigner. When its followers heard of this treachery, they left immediately and set sail for their homeland. Upon reaching the shores of Spain, they recounted its unfortunate tale to his grandson, Mile Mile was angry at the deviousness and treachery of the Thwa de He and his sons decided to mount an invasion of the island. They set sail for Ireland, seeking revenge for the murder of it, Spain. Mile died on the voyage, but his sons' American, Eremon, and Eberdon honoured their father's wishes and continued on their way. Amargan was a great bard and a powerful wizard, and upon landing on the shores of Ireland, he immediately recognised the magic in the land and the beauty of the great country. He instructed his brothers and all his men to first pay their respects to this wondrous and magnificent land before venturing inland. Afterward, the sons of Mile journeyed to Tara, where they informed the three kings of their intention to seek revenge for their grandfather's murder. The kings of Thwadei Dunon, who were once powerful and great, were now reduced to mere warlords due to their constant warrings and bickering. Gone was the greatness of the race and the immense strength and beauty of the wondrous Dé Dunan of old. They were replaced by treacherous and conniving lesser sons and daughters. The three kings, upon hearing the sons of Mile, asked for three days to respond. Amergan, being the wisest among the sons, agreed to this. They retreated to their ships beyond the shores of Ireland and waited to hear from the Tuade Dunan. Now the druids of Tuade Dunan, urged on by the three kings, who were not so honorable, and they sought to destroy the fleet of invaders as they waited. They conjured up a terrible and devastating storm. They called down a mist to scatter the ships so that they would not be able to see land again. The moment the storm began, Amargan, who was a great druid himself, suspected that this was magical. His magical powers were a match for the Thuade-Danan druids, and so he was able to calm the storm. After the storm subsided, Amargan and his brothers, furious at the treachery of the Thuade-Dunan, decided to invade the island immediately. They were, however, hampered by another storm, which delayed their landing. The Sons of Mile had to sail around Ireland to the other side before they could land again on its shores. Now on their way to Tara, the Sons of Mile were met with the three queens of Thwadei Dunan. The queens, named Banba, Airu, and Fodla, promised to help the three brothers if they would name the land after them. Amergin agreed to each of the queen's demands, and that is why, in ancient times, Ireland had three names, though only the name Iru survives today. And so it was, that the sons of Mile met the Tuade Danon in a great and terrible battle. The three kings of Thwadei Danon were slaughtered, their forces routed. The once great race of men and women fled to the sea, with the sons of Mile hot in their heels, killing any they could lay their hands on. This is how the Thwadei Danon were defeated. After this great massacre, they decided to leave Ireland, Instead of staying on as subjects of the son of Mile, they retreated, shrouding themselves in invisibility. As the Thwa Danon left the lands, they took all their magic with them. They retreated to the forest and waterways of Ireland, where they have lived ever since. Ireland does belong to the Milesians, and they lord over the land to this day. That is all for this episode. If you enjoyed the stories, please leave a rating and a feedback. Check out the Celtic Creation Myths in episode 8 if you are interested in learning more about this spectacular group of people. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at stories, T-H-T, M-D-E, U-S. That's at stories, T-H-T, M-D-E, U-S. Our email is us at gmail.com if you'd like to drop in your thoughts or feedback on the episodes. I'll see you again next week with more tales of our creation.